Welcome to the Real Life Webinar. Whether you're experiencing hardship, searching for encouragement and motivation, or simply want a refreshing reminder that you're not alone, we are so glad that you're here. Our hope is that you'll find these discussions about real life topics helpful and discover practical ways to apply this information and advice to your life. We are here to help you find real solutions to real problems. Welcome to Real Life, presented by Chestnut Ridge Church. I'm your host, Jim Matuga. Today on Real Life, we'll be discussing the challenges, issues, and concerns related to addiction. Our goal is to help give you some professional, practical, and even biblical advice to help you or your loved ones heal and move forward. Also, today's episode is really geared for adults, so please use your discretion as you're listening in today. And we have a great panel of experts lined up for you today, right from the Morgantown area. First of all, we have Joanne Fry. Joanne, of course, is a licensed professional counselor and one of the co-founders of Stillwater Counseling in Morgantown. Joanne, thanks for being on our panel today. Thanks for having me, Jim. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Al Kasperwitz is a licensed psychologist and also the co-founder of Stillwater Counseling. It's great to have you with us, Al, once again. Glad to be a part, Jim. Thanks much. Yes, absolutely. And finally, Travis Watson. Travis is a licensed professional counselor and clinician at Stillwater Counseling, and his specialty is addiction. Travis, we're glad you're here as well. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just excited to be here uh, with you guys today and really diving into this topic of addiction. For the folks watching at home, you might be watching this episode to learn how to deal with your own addiction, or you might be watching to seek wisdom and how to help a loved one with an addiction or even a friend. Either way, that's okay. We're here to help you navigate this real life issue. So however you're coming to this episode, we're just glad that you're joining us. So let's just jump right in. Travis, I'd like to start with you. And, you know, we hear the word addiction, and sometimes we might think predisposed to, you know, maybe drug addiction or alcohol addiction, but addiction can mean a lot of different things. How do you define addiction? How, what, is, what does that look like? Yeah, um, we kind of define it along the lines of uh, an addiction is a compulsive behavior that provides a reward, but has an adverse effect. Um, so we'll be talking today a little bit broadly about the subject of addiction to include drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, food, gambling, social media, even work, uh, sex and love addiction, um, kind of all of those things that you can participate in, in in a way where it becomes adverse in your life instead of uh, rewarding. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good definition. I think you've really captured it. When I think of addiction, um, you know, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of predisposed myself to think of certain things, but that really sums it up. Joanne and Al, I'd love to hear you guys, uh, your, your all's take on that definition as well. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's all of the things that uh, Travis just mentioned. And um, I think when we, when we know it's an addiction or we think like, what does an addiction look like? Um, I think a lot of us, it's asked the question, at what point does it cross the line? Because a lot of these things are things that um, not in excess, they're, they're okay. Um, so often when, when people come and question, is this a problem? I say, well, does it cause separation in your life? I think that's the, the from from ourselves? Does it cause separation with our, our, with our relationship with ourselves? Does it cause separation with the people we care about the most? Um, does it cause separation between us and God? Um, I think yeah. if that's, if you're asking me, what does kind of addiction, addiction look like? That's, yeah. that would be the that's, answer I, would I, I think that's, that's excellent. It really brings mm -hmm. some, some clarity to the, to the topic. Al, yeah. what do you say? You know, it's interesting. I grew up in a generation where addiction was spoken of was almost exclusively addressed with regard to substances. And I think as Travis is providing this broader um, set of qualities, whether they are substances or behaviors that people have, that's a much clearer idea of the addictive process. And as Joanne was talking about, there are elements of its maintenance and its manifestation that really have to do with identity and relation. Um, but it's just, again, it's interesting for me to think about that for folks that were raised in my same generation, they had a hard time thinking about 
an addictive process outside of like physiologic dependence. Mm -hmm. And so when in the 80s or so, people would talk about perhaps addiction to food or addiction to other behaviors, um, the purists would kind of deny that because, well, unless there's a physiologic process that underlies that. And so it's interesting for me, I think that our culture has really advanced substantially to kind of move away from the limitations of addiction to nicotine, alcohol, or a substance. And while that is absolutely true, a lot of the um, factors and facets that we'll talk about, as Travis was saying from the outset, have application to a whole variety of things that never would have been seen as, as addictive um, in the past. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, just to kind of tee up some of our discussion today, too, um, I was sharing uh, with Joanne and, and, and Travis in my experience, there's been no area of mental health, in my estimation, that has had two qualities so strongly associated with addiction um, as there are today. And one has to do with something Travis already laid out a little bit, and that is addiction is an important process for the individual, but the understanding in the field of treatment that the concurrent impact on families and loved ones is so much a part of how we approach addiction these days. And then secondarily, and I certainly as believers, um, uh, there are other areas of mental health that absolutely beg and are just very open to an understanding of identity in Christ and spiritual beliefs. But very fortunately, a lot of the underpinnings and a lot of aspects of treatment these days really speak to a very strong and vibrant spiritual dimension. Mm. And independent of that, whether that spirituality is addressed by Christianity specifically or other forms of relatedness to a higher power or another sense of um hope or healing or presence other than oneself, those things have been integral to a variety of approaches. And I know we're interested in taking a look at that element as well. Yeah, absolutely. Travis, so so that begs the question. I, I mean, these are great definitions of, of addiction and really helps bring some clarity into that word. How do you know if you're addicted? How do you know if a loved one or a friend is is addicted? How, what, what are those things that we look for? Yeah, and it's, it's a... Uh, it's a really tough thing because because uh, a lot of times um, the individual goes unaware for quite a quite a while before they actually like maybe start to notice that they're crossing some lines in areas of their life and hey maybe this is a problem uh, but a lot of times it's friends and family members that will see it first so I think as we as we go through this talk too it's important to lay out that we'll be trying to talk like as like an individual if you're seeking this message like how to how to use this information, but if you're a family member as well. Yeah. Um, so I always kind of lay it out in the four major categories of uh, looking at your life socially, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Hmm. So socially, if you take a look at, okay, look at my closest friend group, right? Uh, look at my family members. Are they expressing concern? Are they, um, Am I only friends with people who seem to be using or engaging in this certain activity? Um, physically looking at if you're having physical withdrawal. And I know like physical withdrawal is something that will usually just uh, kind of attach to uh, chemical addictions. But there's also physical withdrawal. I mean, most of us can relate to the addiction to our cell phone. How many times when you don't have your phone on you, are you like, did my phone vibrate? Uh, yeah. you checking your pockets or. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You, if, if you want to see how addicted you are to your phone, sit in a waiting room somewhere and, and just don't get on it. Yeah. And you start to get antsy a little bit. Right. So um, physical addictions like that, like the being antsy for something, maybe too. Hmm. Um, mentally. Um, if you don't have that thing, is it affecting how you are with others? Are you more irritable if you're if you try to abstain from it? Um, mm. Depression can be a part of that as well as anxiety. And then spiritually, and um, Joanne, I think did a really good job laying this out too. Is you know, do you feel do you feel as though you're close to God through that activity, or do you feel like you're getting further from God in that activity? And if you feel that separation, it's a really good sign that you know you're kind of starting down that road. Yeah. So Travis, is it is it safe to say that, you know, while you, you talk about the, the mental, the physical, the the spiritual, the social uh, kind of symptoms, if you will, that if you're seeing that in your friend or a, you know, a family member, then those that those, those kind of things uh, would be that trigger that says, hey, you know, there might be a problem going on here. Is that kind of mm -hmm. safe to say? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or, you know, 
whenever, whenever this comes up with families, I'm all, I always think, you know, like, and if it's in the early stages and you're not sure treating someone with curiosity is the best way to approach them. You know, like, Hey, I've kind of noticed these things going on and I'm just wondering, like, is everything all right? Is something is, has something changed for you? Um, Mm. and a lot of times people will want to, you know, they'll be kind of stuck in that denial and no, like no, nothing. But you also like by doing that, you plant that seed that you're someone who is seeing these changes. And if, if it's not right there that they're ready to talk about it, they may even come back to you. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a, there's a vicious stigma attached to addiction, right? We hear that word, there's a stigma, there's a, and I think even from within, there's this sense of shame that people have, right? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's come to this, right? However that goes. So, so there may be that sense of reluctance. Is that, is that kind of the thing that you see typically when you're, when you're dealing with uh, folks in your practice? Oh yeah, that. As a, as a clinician, it's probably the most, one of the most frustrating things is, you know, that, um, it's not wanting to, to acknowledge that shame. And a lot of times, I mean, it's, it's pride, you know, we, we have some pride where we don't want to be that person. Um, but the longer that we pretend that we're not, if, if we have those facts and those signs and symptoms in our life, the worse it gets, you know, uh, people ask all the time, like, does some we have to wait till, you know, Jimmy hits bottom before we're going to, before he's going to actually get help. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's terrible. I mean, wh- we, we don't have to wait, you know, we can, let's, let's bring, let's put Jimmy aside and let's have a hard conversation and, and talk about this, you know, and it's like, uh, sometimes we want to protect that person. And I always think back to like, uh, when, uh, when, you know, I was going to be disciplined as a kid. And my dad would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Right. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> um, <Exactly>. but <laughs> sometimes it, it is that it's putting that person down and you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be emotional that they're not going to like what you have to say. Um, but sometimes sitting down and being able to have that conversation is the best thing for them. Yeah. Joanne, can you speak to that, that concept of yeah. the stigma and, and this sense of shame that I was mentioning and, and Travis beautifully uh, elaborated on? Yeah, I think shame is, um, when it comes to addiction, one of the, uh, as a therapist, one of the things we have to really, um, it's probably the biggest challenge, what we have to overcome. I think shame is very closely uh, connected to, to addiction for sure. Um, and just to go over what Travis just said, I think if, if you have gotten to the point where you're questioning or you have loved ones questioning or um, whether or not you're struggling with an addiction, um, I think regardless of where you fall on that spectrum of like rock bottom or I'm doing this more than I like or um, it's starting to become problematic, regardless of where, where you fall on that, um, I think we ideally we would that someone would engage in therapy sooner rather than later or ask for help sooner rather than later. And I think a a question that I often ask people, if they come to me and say, I'm not really sure if this is a problem or not, but you know, my wife or my husband wanted me to come talk to you. (laughs) Um, Kind of my, my go-to question is, okay, are you ideally like, is there incongruency? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? What's the ideal for you? Like ideal best version of you. What does that look like? And where do you feel like you fall right now in your life? Or for people who, I, again, I think this is a sign often when someone is struggling, if we see a loved one and we're like, is this, I know who this person is. There's a big incongruency on who this person once was and what we saw um, or like what they're, what they're looking like. They're not, they're not showing up for things. They're not, um, sleeping, they're not engaged, you know, all of that type of thing. Um, they're not acting so, like themselves, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a, that's a yeah. definite go-to question. Is there incongruency? I think for the person struggling, um, yeah. is there a, uh, is there a disconnect between who, or there's an incongruent, am I living incongruently with like who I believe God made to be to be who I want to be and kind of what life looks like for me. Um, day to day, hour to hour. Another really helpful um, analogy that I like or idea, uh, something I do in, in practice is I talk about like a pie, I, I use a, a pie chart and, um, 
and this is a very strength-based approach and a very hopeful approach too, is I will sit down with someone regardless of where they are. If they've been struggling for 15 years or this is fairly new and they're questioning whether or not it's, it's a problem. Um, I talk a lot about identity um, because I think that's really important. Relationships and identity are the two areas where I tend to focus when it comes to addiction. So you take the, you take the pie, the wholeness of a person, whole and complete. And I have them, I, I draw it on a piece of paper and I break up the different pieces of the pie or the, or the, you know, the, the sections of the slices of the pie. And I, we start, I am statements. I am a mother. I am a wife. I am a believer. I am an artist. I am a therapist. I am. And what is interesting, how often people will identify immediately. I am an addict mm. and, or oh. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm in this, in a, in a particular area. And we kind of, um, and then we go, we further the discussion by we say how much of you are like, like almost give percentages to these, to these portions of you. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is um, when we really get to the heart of it, when someone is really struggling, they're a large part of their pie and their identity is that addiction and that struggle. So, and so often our approach when we're struggling with something is, okay, this is the last day I'm going to do it. Okay. This is, I'm done after this. I'm going to, so they resist uh, over identifying with that, or they continue to over identify with that and, and resist that being a part of who they are. And the approach I often take that I think again, is one that's much more hopeful is I, we look at the other areas other than addiction. And I say, which one of these are most important to you and list them. Like, what, what do you want to be, have the large, I, the, you know, I want to, as far as a believer, I want, I want my identity in Christ. I want my identity as a wife. I want my identity as a mom. I want my identity as a therapist to be, to, to kind of be what I stand on. And, and we focus, and that's where we go in therapy, rather than focusing so much on resisting that addiction, resisting the food, resisting the alcohol, resisting Mm. the pornography, resisting constantly checking my phone. I say, okay, be intentional about growing those other areas. And then what, what naturally occurs when we grow and strengthen those other areas of identity, we just kind of, kind of uh, choke out that, that, that section that we're struggling with. Yeah. Joanne, I love that, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's more of a, of a, a message of hope and encouragement, mm-hmm. which is what we were hoping to do here today anyway, which is awesome. And I think that there's a, um, there's a fallacy sometimes amongst people of faith that, you know, the, the reality is faith does not protect us from harm, all harm, right? I mean, we're, we're going to get sick as believers. We're going to have accidents. We're going to lose relationships and we become addicts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. And so you have to realize that we are people. We're human beings. We, we make, mm-hmm. you know, we have, uh, you know, like Travis was talking about the mental, physical, social, and, and spiritual aspect of, of addiction. I mean, all those things are kind of faith is woven through all that. Al, I'd love to get your thoughts on on this discussion so far and, and, and chime in. Well, it's, it's, it's neat. I, you know, again, from the outset, we've talked about kind of the breadth of addictions, and we're kind of uh, peeling back the layers when we talk about the process of addiction, kind of our susceptibility to that as just and humankind, and even for believers to, as you said, Jim, recognize that this process of being seduced into certain behaviors that have yeah. negative consequences mm-hmm. um, is not just kind of spiritually a dilemma because we're burdened by the actual actions or the thoughts. It is that it really robs us of this core mm. Grounding in terms of knowing who we are in Christ, and and so I'll, I'll kind of just continue on that same theme that Travis and, and Joanna shared a little bit, um, and and I'll start with this. I think um, it's always been interesting to me the process of addiction, insofar that either the substance or the behavior serves certain seemingly adaptive characteristics. So. Um, let's say in the midst of a sense of loss or grief or feeling down, there are people who can seek certain behaviors or certain substances to elevate their mood to some extent, to make them feel more confident or more um, comfortable. And then there are individuals um, who are not necessarily attracted to the beneficial elements of the exposure to a substance or experience, but they use it to dull or to diminish or to blunt unfavorable experiences that they're having. So no one would begrudge an individual to want to feel alleviated of suffering or to feel better 
about a set of circumstances. And really from a spiritual perspective, um, and, and, and sin is often identified in the Greek, it's this falling short of the mark, right? And I've always loved that because it suggests that sin is moving toward hitting a mark in some way, but not in a sustainable way, not in a way that is fully going to meet that need. So, so addiction is a way of offering some semblance of value, but in a way that's going to trap or curtail. And so there are elements of both either the behavior or the substance that offer some tangible, reliable form of relief or benefit. It creates the sense that since it's accessible to you in some way, and it introduces this very kind of seductive sense, not so much that you're in control, but you're doing it according to your own volition. And those qualities of something that's accessible, that's reliable in its outcome, and creates a sense of agency or control is a very seductive set of qualities. And once it's manifest, it then also encourages you to believe that the only way you can feel this way is through this substance. It's a very demanding taskmaster. So then whether it's online shopping or it's gambling, it introduces this very seductive quality. And then once it's on board and it, it kind of defies you to feel or experience the same with anything else, then kind of the condemnation hits. It's like, yes, it kind of rewards me in some ways, brings me some level of satisfaction, but at this great cost. And then spiritually, it's like, I am doing something that is frowned upon or corrupt. My own motivations and intentions have to be questionable because why would I be doing this? Wow. And then you're just a hair's breadth away from saying, if what I do is corrupt, if my motives are questionable, then I myself <laughs> must be deprived, depraved. And in many ways, from a spiritual perspective, and it goes to this whole issue of identity, believers who really trust and know the fullness of who they are, or as Joanne talks about the pieces of pie, even outside the spiritual realm, people would otherwise enjoy and endorse and understand a broad nature of who they are, feel very constrained mm -hmm. by having to identify with a sense of condemnation. But after mm -hmm. all, I'm a victim of my own choice. I'm a victim of my own actions. I have no one else to blame but me. And it creates the sense of, I am separated from the genuine nature of who I am, either in the eyes of the Lord or who I am in Christ, or even in the satisfaction or the, the uh, endorsement of my wife or family. So this, this process is, is, is remarkably seductive because it meets in need in part, but it ends up conferring upon individual a sense of almost unrelentless agony based upon seemingly their own choice and their own volition. And that's a, that's a pretty heavy burden to bear. No doubt. And I, I think about that out, and, and, and I don't know if this is on point, but it seems like at the center of addiction is a spiritual void uh, in a sense. You know, I, I, that's the sense that I get out of that. And then I think about like, you know, any of us can become addicted to, to any of the things we're talking. Like you said, online shopping, you know, that's a real thing. Social media, you know, uh, pornography or alcohol or drugs and opioids and all these different things. There's so many things out there. And then we sit there and we go, well, you know, she, she can't possibly be an addict. She goes to church every Sunday. How could she have a problem? Right. Yes. And then yes. we're like, whoa, how, what the heck? And so that spiritual aspect, I think is huge. Or even, you know, the individual saying that about themselves, like, no, I can't have this problem because I'm, because I go to church or yeah. because I have, I have my job and I show up, you know? Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's worth mentioning too, mm -hmm. kind of piggybacking on what Al said there is, you know, there's in, in church, we talk about the process of sanctification and that's, that's kind of the process of living your life as a Christian and continuing to grow, you know, and, um, uh, the, the best metaphor I've ever heard for it is it's like, uh, it's like shoveling silver ore into a giant cauldron and you light the fire underneath and, you know, the, the silver ore will melt and the impurities will come to the, come to the surface. And, you know, as, as we seek Christ through our lives, the impurities are going to come to the surface and we're going to see, you know, probably many things throughout our life that, that we might not like about ourselves and it's it's to continue to chase after god to to find ways to remedy that i um i'll, I'll use galatians 5 all the time with with my clients i uh galatians 5 20 
Um, and from there, I, I, I call it the Holy Spirit inventory. And it's kind of along the lines of like, you know, these are the, these are the deeds of the flesh um, and, and these are the fruits of the spirit and kind of going through, through those with clients and saying like, what do you, what deeds of the flesh do you identify with in your life right now? And, and what fruit of the spirit do you identify with mm-hmm. and how are we, how do we work on that? How do we work through that sanctification process? Yeah. I think about, you know, the, the noise and the chaos that must go on in the head of an addict. You know, all these things we're talking about, it's just, it, it's kind of overwhelming, I would say. Um, it, and, and that's probably underestimating the, 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 the impact that the, the, the thoughts and the chaos and the noise that I'm talking about. And honestly, that does not come from a good and loving God. That's coming from the addiction. Yeah. Right. God loves us. He, you know, he knows we're sinners. He, he sent his one and only son to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life. But we talk a little bit about that, like these thoughts that, I mean, because I think you guys are on to something really powerful here uh, with regard to that. And, and just the, 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 the battle that has to rage mm-hmm. every day with these folks. Yeah. Well, I think earlier Al had I used the word condemnation and I think um, just thinking through what you're saying here. Yeah. This, we all, we all battle these types of things all all the time. And of course they, you know, there's variation and there's a degree at which, you know, we can experience this um, to a greater degree, a more threatening degree. But I love the difference, the true, really understanding the difference between condemnation versus conviction. Okay. So God sees the struggle. He knows the struggle. He knows our heart. And I think a lot of times um, it, we, we, don't like differentiate this too. It's that condemnation. It's the guilt. It's the or the guilt that's more shameful is condemnation. Um, where conviction is, I feel that, that guilt. I feel that kind of pricking of my heart. I'm kind of checking myself on this, and it's it's pushing me or it's encouraging me to um, correct a wrong. To, so it writes a wrong in our life. So that's conviction. That's feeling the separation between ourselves and God, feeling the separation between who we are and who we once were, feeling the separation between ourselves um, and, and the people we love. And often the, that separation and is, um, is, 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 is that guilt, you know, feeling guilt or shame um, where condemnation is very much. I, I am, I am bad. I am undeserving. I, I've, just extreme shame. I think that's the best way. So when we're thinking about um, moving forward and continuing to kind of move through the process of healing and recovery, I think with it, from a Christian standpoint or with, with Christ, or if we're telling how, someone comes to us and says, how do I, how do I support my loved one? I always say support the conviction. Don't support the condemnation. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's important for us to, to, to give ourselves grace, to give ourselves forgiveness to um to allow ourselves to even experience those desires and not judge it um to just say okay to keep to keep recentering yourself to to the conviction right to our identity in christ to all that's right with us rather than all that's wrong with us so but again i think sometimes those two especially people who are trying to support someone, they're basically furthering the condemnation rather than encouraging and supporting their conviction and, and who they are in Christ. So. Al, it, it sounded like you were wanting to jump in there. So I was going <laughs> yeah, to. Jim, it's, it's neat. Cause I like the way you introduced <laughs> that, which is this quality of this conflict or this tussle, especially in the heart of the minds of, of individuals, either by faith or just by demeanor feel that um, to acknowledge that this conflict is going on must itself be an indictment of, of their, their mm-hmm. right lives. Mm-hmm. And um, we were reflecting on this scripture the other day in Romans chapter seven, and we're so appreciative that Paul does not disclose to the reader <laughs> what exactly it is that he's talking about. Yeah. But it's that segment towards the end of chapter seven, where he is sharing with the reader um, and church in Rome specifically, um, that he sees within his members, within his body. And whether you speak about that as specifically in the flesh or just kind of a natural man, he sees that he is compelled to do things that he does not want to do. 
And in some ways, it's almost kind of glib when the reader hears Paul say, it is no longer me who is doing them, but it is sin. And I think the casual reader would say, well, that's a cop out. <laughs> so you're saying you have no responsibility at all for your actions and it's just something else. Um, but what Paul is really providing with us, providing to us is this intimate portrayal of this conflict between how he experiences certain qualities of his own temptation or his own challenges. And when you shared earlier about kind of the conflict and how it creates these mental games in one's mind, and Paul mm -hmm. speaks very directly, and he says that this quality within him wages war against his mind mm -hmm. <laughs> and brings him in captivity to sin. Mm -hmm. And as Travis and, and Joanne were talking about, there's this really fine place where if you give in to that identification with that sin, principally or solely, it will invite this remarkable condemnation, and you will feel that you're not worthy or capable of, of being able to be anything else but this. And then there are some individuals in the midst of this that as that war is waged, they basically kind of claim their own sense of, well, that's not really me. And they're trying to kind of justify their sense of function or standing to kind of disavow it. But what's so neat is that Paul openly acknowledges the concurrent reality of these battles and this temptation. And he speaks about how he celebrates or think, thanks God after the inward man. And while it's easy to think about that, the actual realization that in the midst of temptation and difficulty and, and behavioral susceptibility, that you can stand on the truth about who you are in Christ and the health and the healing of that is incredibly liberating. And I think people who are really inclined to see the opportunity that their addiction is not the definition of their identity and there are other ways of exploring and knowing and having that affirmed in relationships, despite their struggles, is, is a great sense of hope and it's a great place to start. And I know for Travis and Joanne, as they approach individuals, well, to the extent that they understand the impact of the process of their addiction, as they both stated this opportunity to just dare to believe mm -hmm. there are dimensions and qualities of self above and beyond that addiction that can hold forth and have strength and really create a level of wholeness in one's life and a new sense of their identity um, above and beyond what they've experienced mm. in their struggles. It's just, it's, it's a remarkable process. That's so good. Thanks, Al, for sharing that. And uh, I, I've once heard this uh, said this way, and it said something like, the world we live in shouts, the ego within our head screams, but God, God whispers. And I think, you know, me personally, that's something I struggle with is listening you know, being able to hear that voice. I struggle with the, 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 the opportunity just to sit and be quiet and be still and listen, you know, and I can only imagine in an addict's life, um, the chaos and the war that you talked about, Al, going on in their brain. It's such an important thing. And, and I think that, um, that, that from a perspective of uh, recovery, Okay, because that's kind of like the next transition here that I would like to talk about. And how can how can folks seek professional help? I know we hear the word intervention, Travis. I know you're an expert in intervention. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some practical things and folks uh, that can that we all can do if we know somebody who's going through this war of addiction, uh, the pain and the chaos, and bring some encouragement and hope back into those lives. Yeah, um, I've, I've been lucky enough to work with, uh, with Ascension Recovery Services here in town. Um, they do interventions all over the nation. Um, and in working there, we would always use the love first model. Uh, and it really goes right in line with what Joanne was saying, you know, is, you know, conviction versus condemnation. And, you know, the thing is, we love our family members so much. It's so easy for us to get emotional with them and mm -hmm. say like, you know, like you got to get it together. Like, come on. And, <laughs> you know, and probably much worse language than that. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, but we love them so much. It's really easy for our emotions to be the driver um, where the best approach that I've ever seen, the most successful approach is that love first approach. Like, uh, kind of laying it out there. And, and, and this is like a, a really shortened version of, of how to lay it out there. But, you know, saying to that person, you know, you, this is the person that you were, these were all the reasons that I loved you. 
all the parts of your character that I admired. And this is what I've seen the addiction take from you mm-hmm. and, and what, how I see it affecting you, not only you, but others. And, um, and this is what I want for us. You know, I, I really want to see us, I want to see you get through this and be better because of it. And I want to see you kind of push through to the other side so that we can have that relationship like maybe we used to. Um, and it's, uh, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, that's why interventionists exist is because it is so very hard to do on your own yeah. because hard not to be emotionally invested. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's really good to have a mediator there to help you write the letters, to help you kind of really refine what you want to say and stay measured. Um, and then to have everything ready for whenever that, if that person says, okay, I want help, like, well, good. We already got you a bed booked. Let's go get on, on, <laughs> let's go get you there or get you in an airplane to get there or whatever it takes. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, um, I would say, I would say that Jim, it's, it's, it's love first. Like, mm, even if, yeah. even if we're angry, there's usually a layer of love underneath there. You wouldn't be angry if you didn't care. Mm. Um, I had a, I had a football coach in, in high school tell me one time, uh, I, I think it was in my junior year and he was really riding me all through training camp. Right. And, uh, and I started to get irritated with him and yeah, I think he saw it on my face. So he pulled me over to the side and he's like, he said, are you getting upset with me? And I said, yeah, you're, you're really riding me. And he said, well, <laughs> you should be worried when I when I stop getting on you about what you're doing because, and then he cared, you know, he wanted to see me do yep. better. Right. Yep, absolutely. Um, so well, for, it, it, for that love. Yeah. It, Travis, I think that's, that's beautiful. And, and, you know, Jesus commands us to love each other, love one another, love God and love each other. I mean, it's pretty simple when we think about it, but it's very hard to do right in reality yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think coming from that, that, that place of love, uh, it makes total sense to me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a lay person. I, I don't work in a space. Um, but, but just hearing that makes so much sense to me, and, you know, and I think, you know, I think it's a it's a commitment too for family members, right? That they have to be in this for the long haul. There's going to be pain, and there's going to be potentially relapses, right? And how do, how do you how do you encourage folks to to that this is a long long game, and you got to be committed and to put love first. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a big visual person, so I I use a lot of metaphors whenever I explain these things, and you know I think we all would like. We all would like change in life to be like going a hundred miles an hour down the down the road the wrong way, and you hit the e brake and you do a one eighty and you go the other way, and we're all good now and we're heading in the right direction. <laughs> but I think behavior change is one of the hardest things for a human being, and that it's more like steering the Titanic. It's that long, steady, mm. you know, uh, making that turnabout. So like. What I, what I really challenge people to, to do is, you know, take a look at time here. If if this person has been using daily or has been, you know, involved in overeating or have been involved in uh, gambling or has been scrolling on their social media constantly throughout dinner for the for the last, you know, yeah. ten years, work work can be an addiction, right? Mm-hmm. A workaholic, right? right. Yeah. So yeah. that like if if you see them abstain from that behavior for any period of time like mm-hmm. like for example like in, in drug and alcohol addiction if if somebody uses once in six months and then doesn't use again for the next six months they had they used they used once one time in a year mm-hmm. and if you look at the last 10 years of their life that's an anomaly i mean yeah. that's that's unbelievably different exactly. um, and even though they had they had a relapse it's it's we should be encouraged that, you know, that we're seeing change, you know, mm-hmm. not, it's not always a switch. It's not always a switch, even though we wish it would be. Yeah. Joanne, can you jump in there and, and talk a little bit about Yeah. That? I think, um, again, I think that when we've been as a family member hurt a lot or let down a lot or lied to a lot, we tend to, and, and we hear all the time, and this is correct to set boundaries, set boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. But also I think at the same time, while while we're setting boundaries and boundaries are, are loving boundaries to kind of protect ourselves and protect the, the relationship. Um, we also need to, I think, call out the greatness in our loved ones and celebrate wins. So mm-hmm. I think it's those, those little wins. And also often because our, the person who's struggling often is there lacks self-confidence and, and lacks um, belief in their, in, in themselves. And they're just as, if more, more so fearful, um, 
of relapse and, and struggling and letting themselves down, letting other people, other people down. So again, I think that love first, this kind of um, echoes that too, to look have, have eyes to, and, and ears, I think, to, to notice and to see strengths and to see success and to see wins, the little wins, um, whether it's, I noticed you're taking better care of, of your house. Uh, I noticed you're showing up at work on time. Um, to really call that, that stuff out and speak life into that, I think um, mm-hmm. it's just a very strength-based approach to, to this. It's like, I can, again, I can call out what I see that's working and um, the forward movement you're making, or, or I can focus on that. It's you're moving too slowly. (laughs) So I just, I I guess that would be, um, I guess that would be my approach to our advice of helping um, those that are trying to support their loved ones in recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Al, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting. I'll, I'll talk about something practically. And then in some ways, I'll throw it back to, to Travis, my colleague, to talk about the stages of change, if you're inclined to talk about that a little bit, Travis. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting um, because I, I think that, as Travis was saying, even in terms of intervention, the emotional investment of family members often have them asking themselves, what did I do to bring this about? And their level of genuine investment in helping compels them to think that it is their actions that are necessary to write that, that, that corrective path. Mm-hmm. And both Travis and Joanne see this quite frequently, where people are so invested in their sense of responsibility or obligation to change, that it starts to markedly affect their own stability, their own integrity and continuity. They, they have a mission to rescue or feel the responsibility to, to help the other individual by facilitating something that really needs to rest and start within the heart of that individual. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jim, when you asked, you know, this is a a long-term prospect. How do you encourage those? And I'll go back to what I was saying at the beginning. One of the things that's true very often from the um, AA model is that you have adult children of uh, alcoholics who have Al-Anon. There's this recognized approach to ensure that you can be supportive and helpful but never lose sight of the fact that it's within the heart of the individual that you love and help, that that's where that seed needs to be planted. And I think about Paul's exhortation to Timothy, and he's letting them know that the servant of the Lord must not strive or be sown into seeds of discord. And at the same time, you've got to be inclined and apt to speak the truth to those who oppose it. And then he goes on to say that your manner must be in patience and this power under control. And you have to believe that it's not your charisma, it's not your persuasion, it's not your desperation, it's the fact that the truth that you speak to will be used of the Holy Spirit to resonate in their heart. And that process of being sold on the fact that you can love and be supportive, but it is neither your privilege, nor your obligation, or your responsibility to be the agent of change. Mm. And I think that's very, very difficult for loved ones to fully rest in, that the, mm. the agent of change is really going to arise in the heart of the individual. And if you don't mind, Jim, I, 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 Travis, I'd be curious if you can share with the listeners about this, this process of stages of change, yeah. and how an individual um, can, can see or track or be aware of their preparation in heart and mind to, to, to be able to make changes. Yeah, the the stages of change are really universally across all addiction treatment used as the roadmap to know kind of where where you are along along the path. Um, and so I'll I'll use an example alongside this that I think we all can relate to with like weight loss or with like wanting to get in shape, right? Um, so the pre contemplation stage is where we start. So this is this is before we're even considering that a change needs to be made. Um, so like in, in forms of weight loss, this is Christmas time when I'm stuffing my face with the cookies, you know, when I'm going up for the second serving of mashed potatoes and ham or whatever, and, uh, not considering, you know, that there's going to be effects come new year's that are going to need a resolution put in place or something. Um, so that, that's the pre-contemplation phase is like, this is whenever maybe addiction is developing for somebody, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, recreational use or, only uh, gaming one night a week or gambling on my phone uh, one night a week, right? This is just what I do like on a slow Tuesday, right? Um, 
And then you get into the contemplation stage of change. And along the terms of the weight loss, this is like when you're driving down the road and you hit a pothole and you feel a jiggle in a place you haven't felt one in quite a while, right? (laughs) Oh boy, I don't like that. You know, I I think I might need to make some changes. Um, And kind of sitting there and being uncomfortable with it and then contemplating like, well, what would it be like to make a change? And is that possible for me? And I don't know, like maybe like if I, you know, just don't eat cookies for a week, but that's not really the change that needs to happen if you, if you want change. Um, same thing with, with the other examples that I gave is like, you know, that activity starts to like take time away from spending time with your kids. That activity starts to take time away from your job. Or if it is your job, it's taking away from your kids and it's taking away from your other responsibilities. Um, so you start to contemplate, like, maybe this isn't the best thing, right? Um, well, then if you, you come to the place where you are ready to make a change, you go into the preparation stage. Now, in the preparation stage, this is where a lot of times, um, for me as a clinician, this is where I'm working with someone. We're saying, okay, so what exactly are we changing? Um, what are logical activities that are going to get us involved in uh, getting the desired result? And, and how do we get you hooked up with, with, with any kind of supports, right? So this would be where we're preparing like, okay, what's it like to go to an AA meeting, right? Um, what's it take to be in recovery if, if you're going to go the AA route? Uh, and you prepare and you make a plan and then you go into the next stage, which is action. And in that action stage, you're actually working on that plan. Maybe we're tweaking that plan based on what seems to be working for you or not. Um, and well, for the, like for the preparation stage for my, my weight loss, uh, analogy, there would be like going online and, and finding a workout plan and a diet you're going to follow. The action stage is actually doing it. And then you either have maintenance, which is kind of turning it into a long-term ha- like habit, something that you do that, you know, works for you, or you may go back into relapse. And if you go back into relapse, then we have to kind of start to cycle back over again, use all that information. Uh, especially the information from the relapse on what to do differently and then, uh, and then move forward and, and, and continue that process. That's awesome. That's, that's called the stages of change. Yeah. And it's, it's written by Prochaska and De Clemente. Yeah, that's that's awesome, Travis. Real practical stuff that people can can grab a hold of. And I think the the real takeaway uh, from my perspective anyway, is if people are listening to this, wanting to you know to have some something really uh tangible that they can can do whether they're in in an addiction situation themselves or a family member loved one friend is seek professional help i think that is you know folks like al and joanne and travis uh travis mentioned ascension recovery uh a, a nationally known organization right here in West Virginia, right here in Morgantown. And uh, I, would, I definitely would urge folks to to get in touch and take that action, seek professional help, because I think, you know, it's not, um, it's not an easy um, to understand issue, addiction, uh, but it's also not an easy to treat issue, right? We got to have that professional help. Don't, you don't have to go it alone is my point. And I think that there is, there is optimism and, and hope and, and encouragement and all, everything that you guys are saying. I mean, it's just, it's really powerful. And especially the fact that, you know, you can tie a, a faith component into this directly with scripture and, and, and uh, processes and, and love, love first, uh, you know, as Jesus taught us. Uh, guys, I, I have kind of a, a question that's just been on my mind ever since we started this conversation conversation. And that is, you know, we're, we're a year into this pandemic here in the United States, and it's hit us hard a lot of ways. Um, you know, we talked about the social aspect of, of addiction. Uh, you know, we've been socially distancing. We've been by, you know, by order of the, the government to, to stay away and to, and to uh, you know, to um, be, you know, in our own homes and not see people, not congregate. Has, has that had a, a, an an impact on the amount or increase, I should say, of addiction that you guys are seeing that the whole pandemic thing. And maybe Travis, you're, you're nodding your head. Maybe we can start yeah. with you and just kind of get your thoughts on that. Well, uh, before the pandemic, one of the, one of the things that um, through recovery people learn, you know, to avoid is isolation. <laughs> like 
that's that's one of the worst things you could do for recovery is to isolate. Yeah. And, and here's, you know, we're being told isolate, you know, to keep people safe. So uh, isolation has definitely taken a toll on so many people. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't recall the exact statistics, but some of the articles I've read is that the residual effects in the addiction field are going to be astronomical from the the amount of uh, the amount of isolation that's taken place. So um, between that and something else that I've seen develop uh, has been, you know, Joanne's talking about the pie chart that we have. And, you know, if, if you break that down, the time that someone would usually spend at work would be probably about nine hours altogether between travel and being at work uh, or even, even more. And, you know, people are at home and, Maybe they're getting their tasks done by like by three in the afternoon. And it's like, well, you know, what do I do now? You know, I don't have mm-hmm. knocked out an hour of travel a day and I'm just getting things done and checking the boxes. I don't have to sit in the office. So here I am and people are picking up a drink, you know, and it's um, it's very, very easy to do. Uh, but that's nobody. Nobody wakes up and says, you know, I think I want to be an alcoholic or I want to be an addict or I want to be addicted to this thing. Right. It de- it develops like that, it, and it wow. it slowly slowly leaks into your life like that. Yeah, that's fascinating, and I, it's a, it's almost like we're going to have a pandemic of the pandemic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a sense, you know, and then For that sure. that leads to other issues like you know the whole foster issue that we're having. You know, I, I always called that an epidemic of the epidemic. You know, the the, the yeah. drug and opioid crisis we have in West Virginia, and all of a sudden we've got this this foster yeah. care epidemic and it's a, it's an epidemic of the epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, Joanne, are you, are you and, and Al also, you guys are also kind of tuned in with that and seeing that same kind of Yeah, thing. we're definitely, we're definitely seeing that. And that's just, um, it is, it's, it's the, it's the ripple effect, the kind of the aftermath of this, of this ice, this prolonged isolation, prolonged, um, uncertainty, prolonged, um, just kind of chaos with scheduling, working from home, having kids at home. I think it's coping. We're using it from coping. I think it's twofold. It's the, it's the, the disconnection, um, the connection and, and relational aspect of, of our well-being is just is critical. And the pandemic has influenced that uh, greatly in all, in all different ways. Um, and then also, I think it's just, Again, we're we're isolated, and it's how we're we're managing emotion. It's how we're managing um, boredom. It's it's how we're managing uh, just a lot of the 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 emotion and, and the uncertainty and the the fear and all of the things that um, some of the new things that we're experiencing with this. It's it's just I feel like people are um, they have that that extra space, and they're inserting these various addictions into that space. Yeah, uh, that's those are great points. Al, what are your thoughts on that? It's interesting at the risk of over-spiritualizing, just listening to my colleagues talk about this. Um, I, I think it's important to know that the people will talk about on the backside or the resolution of the pandemic, what will be the new normal? And there's a reasonable question there about what are the things that we adaptively learned as we cope during this time that will still have value or attraction on the backside of this. But in many ways too, I'm also concerned about the other side of that. Not only what are the coping behaviors that we identified that will help us as we move forward, but it's almost like um, the wilderness, wilderness mentality. The nation of Israel was not intended to be languishing in, in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, they were instructed to inherit the promised land and to, to have confidence in that. Mm. And, and I think in the midst of the pandemic, if people are adjusting to the fact that the way we've coped in this time, the surrogates, so the, um, uh, the Friday happy hours that we had online now <laughs> to replace the usual social experiences, if that's the new normal, we're missing a lot. And this yeah. season is a season of challenge and difficulty. But the real issue is how do we resume? How do we come into a life that was meant to be more abundant? Than the limitations of this pandemic and how do we celebrate and embrace and, and, and move into that newness of life on the other side of this, rather than hoping these are just adaptive behaviors that we should probably kind of hold yeah. to. Um, and, and again, so for, for me, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to decry and feel like, yeah, we're all destined to be staying in the wilderness for a while. <laughs> it's more along the lines that yes, there's some remarkable coping strategies, but we'll learn a lot 
about how we embrace and live life and receive it more abundantly on the other side of this. And, and, and I'm, I'm for one looking forward to that. I love it. Uh, that's so good, Al. Thank you. Guys, as we close out our, our time, I'd love to just kind of go around the horn and, and see if, if you guys have any parting words for, for our uh, viewers today. Travis. Yeah, I think um, I'll kind of close with something that Al opened with, and that's uh, spirituality is such a huge part of addiction treatment. Yes. Um, I mean, so much so that in the AA Big Book, it, it calls for spiritual awakening that, you know, those, those that don't have a spiritual awakening have a hard time, you know, having recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, AA and, and, and Narcotics Anonymous, a lot of these different programs, they, they call to find a higher power, something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really the opening, I think, I think for people to find God. And if, if, if you're a Christian person struggling with this right now, um, that, you know, turning to that, to that source, turning to your church, asking for help. I mean, really put the pride aside here and, and, and go and ask for help because it's out there and you don't have to struggle alone. You know, we're, we're meant to struggle well, we're meant to struggle together. Um, and that this is serious. Uh, it's not, it's not just, you know, something, a habit that you can't kick. It, It is, it is very serious. Uh, I always, you know, when I get to a point with a client, sometimes I'll say, you know, if this was a cancer diagnosis and your, uh, your oncologist said your first chemo treatment is on Friday, you wouldn't say, oh, I, can we push that back? I have a work meeting. Mm-hmm. You, know, you would cancel that work meeting and you would be there. And if going yeah. to treatment is, is what's going to help, then, then do it. Thank you, Travis. That was, that was powerful. Thank you very much. Joanne. Closing yeah, I, I guess my closing thought would just be there's all there's just great hope here, regardless of where you are in, in your struggle. Um, and if you ever don't feel like there's hope, it's, it's a lie. I always talk about that. That's, that's not the truth. Um, God wants to prevail in our lives. He loves kind of, I think, using our struggle for good. Um, a definition of, of the word restoration kind of showed up on something I was reading um, a few months ago. And I love this, that I think the normal like dictionary definition for restoration is restoring something to what it once was. And, but um, in, in God's, uh, in God's economy, God, the biblical definition for restoration would be not only restoring to where it once was, but to increase, Mm. to restore beyond measure, restore abundantly. So uh, that would be the message of hope that I, I often reflect on when someone's really struggling. It's not just about getting you back to where you once were, that we can actually take this pain, we can take this suffering and this struggle, and, um, and it can be used for good to, to bless ourselves, to bless the people we love, and to kind of to, to bless others. That's amazing. I love so, that. Thank you, Joanne, mm-hmm. for, for sharing those, those words yeah. of wisdom. Al. I'll just pick up on what my two colleagues just said. And um, in line with what Joanne said, the scripture tells us that I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that idea that the restoration and the life we have in Christ is above and beyond, you know, what we could ask or think. And Travis's kind of exhortation to remind individuals that um, they can seek and receive help um, no matter how broken, no matter how difficult the circumstances are. In Hebrews, I love the idea that uh, the readers are encouraged to consider that we have a great high priest who is, in t- who is tempted in all ways as we are. And it's because of that understanding that Christ's experience in life was not devoid of temptation or difficulty. But it says in understanding of that, therefore come boldly before the throne in time of need. And I I love the idea that it's so difficult in our human experience to think in the midst of my frailty and failings and difficulty, where am I supposed to go anywhere, much less go there boldly. (laughs) And I love the idea that this unity of experience in things that are difficult or, or reflect our faults really is the basis for this sense of He's been there. He sees that. He loves us in the face of it. So come before us, come before me boldly in time of need. And I just love that exhortation. I love it. Thanks, Al, Joanne, Travis. Folks, that's a great place to close out our time with you all today. I want to thank again our panelists for their time and expertise on this subject, the very important and serious subject of addiction. Joanne Fry, she's a licensed 
professional counselor at Stillwater Counseling in Morgantown, Al Kasperwitz, licensed psychologist and one of the co-founders at Stillwater, along with Joanne and Travis Watson, a licensed professional counselor, expert in interventions and addiction at Stillwater Counseling. And I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Real Life presented by Chestnut Ridge Church. We want to encourage you to share this webinar with people in your life that you think could benefit. Uh, and would also like to invite, invite you guys to check out the Chestnut Ridge uh, Church services this Sunday. You can e either do it online or in person and highly encourage you to do that. And finally, we'll close in prayer. If we could just bow our heads, I'll, I'll close this out. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for Al and Joanne and Travis and Chestnut Ridge Church for bringing this program uh, to our viewers uh, today. Lord, we're just we're grateful for their hearts and their expertise, their wisdom. They were able to shine on this important uh, topic of, of addiction. Lord, we know that there are people out there struggling that are hurting through addiction, friends, family, people themselves that are going through this. And, and we just pray that they find healing and are able to address this issue with your love first model. You taught us that, Lord. And we just want to encourage people to seek that abundant life through you. And we pray all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Guys, I just want to thank you again for, for watching Real Life. I'm your host, Jim Matuga. And remember, Jesus is truly the way to real life. <laughs>